Welcome to Fleet Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the latest in our teaching series. And the last couple of weeks, Lee started us off two weeks ago, and I carried on last week, the Father's love revealed through Jesus. And we're thinking about that again this morning. And then next week, we'll, we'll move on to eye intimacy and thinking about the presence of God. And then we're going to think about the restoration of the heart after that, healing, emotional, relational, physical healing, God restoring us to what was meant to be in the beginning. And then ending up as we approach Christmas, extending the, the kingdom through equipping, empowering, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So you'll notice that on each of those, apart from the last one, there's one thing that relates to the letter. So F is the Father's love. I is intimacy. R is restoration. But when they got to E, they weren't sure whether it was extending, equipping, or empowering. So you've got three. You get your money's worth when you get to the E. So that's where we're going to be going over the next few weeks. And uh, we've been thinking about the Father's love over the last couple of weeks. And last week particularly, I thought about the Father and the Father's love for us. And this week, we want to do part two of, of my sort of section on it. Lee did his part before. Uh, and we're thinking about how it's revealed through Jesus. So that's particularly where I'm heading today. How is the Father's love revealed in Jesus? So that's what we're going to think about. So uh, if you have your Bible with you, switch it on. Uh, it will also be on the screen behind me. And uh, I'm going to be reading a few verses from John chapter 14. John 14. Very, very familiar verses, uh, but they're going to come up on the screen behind me. Now, bear in mind, this is a conversation between Jesus and the disciples. He is about to die. He's just told them that. So these guys have given up everything for three years. They've given up their livelihood. They have no security through income. They have no way of supporting themselves except Jesus. They've given up everything. That's, that's called being a disciple, by the way. Anything else is called self-sufficient. That's called being a disciple. Second thing is they've walked away from their families and their homes, the places where they were having an identity. Bearing in mind this is a village-dwelling community. So if you live in a fairly small town or in a village, everybody knows everybody else and they're all related to each other. You have security. They walked away from that. That's called being a disciple. These guys have given up everything and they have followed Jesus. And after three years of that, day and night, living by faith, following this man Jesus around, suddenly he said, I'm going to die tomorrow. I'm going to die. That's the context in which you've got to read what I'm about to read to you. Okay? They've just been told, I'm going to die. Do not let your hearts be troubled. He's just told them, I'm about to die. Your security is about to be taken away from you. Everything you've just given your life for. And he says, don't worry. It's going to be okay. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back 
and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. Jesus has just said, from now on you know him and have seen him. And immediately Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. And that will be enough for us. Jesus answered him, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been amongst you such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me and the words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or at least believe on the evidence of the miracle themselves. What does the Father's love in Jesus look like? How is the Father's love revealed in Jesus? Well, I've listed down, and these were the notes that I had at the end of last Sunday's message. There's five lines that were on the bottom of my message that I didn't get to last week. So this is where I'm going to pick up with these five lines. It says this, line one, justice. Line two, truth. Line three, sacrifice. Line four, embodying the kingdom. And line five, miracle signs and wonders. And I want to unpack uh, each of those five in the next couple of hours. <laughs> Justice. Healing those who are hurt, but also confronting those who are doing the hurting. That is what the Father's love looks like. That's what Jesus reveals as the Father's love. You see, when Jesus reveals something, he does it out of a motive of love. Whenever God reveals something, when he brings something into the light, he is a God of justice. And he brings things into the light, actually not to condemn, but to convict. You see, we took bread and wine earlier, and we remember, didn't we, from Isaiah 6, that when you are confronted with the holiness of God, what happens is it shines light on the unholiness of mankind. 
And God's purpose in, in bringing about that revelation is because he is a just God. It is not for the purposes of tearing people down. It is for the purposes of building people up because he is love. He is, by very nature, love. And the reality is that we try and be like God. But what happens is that we don't go down the route of conviction. We go down the route of condemnation. You see, let me explain something to you. God is perfect in all of his ways. And, and his perfection enables him to dwell in heaven, which is the per perfect place. Amen? We don't dwell in heaven. We, we dwell somewhere lower than that. Now, in my Bible, I read in Revelation chapter 4, particularly in verses 2 and 3, where the voice from heaven speaking to John the Revelator, he says, Come up here. It is always the will and the heart of God to bring us up and elevate us to where he is. That's called love. Our job as those who follow after him is to model the love of God, is always to be saying, rather, actually, I want to sort of tear people down and bring them to the lowest common denominator. Rather, I want to elevate people and bring them up to heaven's perspective. That's what justice, biblically speaking, is all about. It's about raising people up to a higher place, taking them from where they are and bringing them up. Conviction raises people up because it gives them a glimpse of the glory of God. It gives them a glimpse of the perfection of the heart of God. It gives them a glimpse of heaven. And it gives them an invitation to say, come up here. Condemnation takes them from where they are and rips them to shreds and pushes them lower down. And that is never, never the heart of God. And it is never the way that God works. You see, we see Jesus taking people and elevating them. He is a God of justice. I want to suggest to you, and I've preached a, a short series on this in the past, Jesus was the first women's rights advocate ever to walk this planet. And, and we have people over the last generation or more pressing for women's rights. Praise God for that. But it's nothing new. Why is it that God chose in his love to first reveal his plan about bringing Jesus into the world to a woman? Because he is always in the business of saying, come up here. Let me raise you up to my level. So he sent his angelic messenger to Mary and said, I'm going to raise you up to my level as a prophetic sign. Who was it that first met with Jesus after the resurrection? The women. The downtrodden. He's a God of justice. And he always says, I will raise you up where the world pushes you down. That's what the love of God looks like. And if we want to see the fire of God's Spirit released, we need to have a revelation of the Father's love in Jesus. I need to know the Father's love. You need to know the Father's love. What does it look like? It looks like Jesus. He is the fullness of the revelation of the love of the Father.
He's a God of justice who always says, come up to my level. I will make it possible because there is no way you can get there except for through me because I am the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. But come up here. Come up here. It's called justice. That's the first thing of what Jesus reveals about the Father's love for us. That's God's heart for you. That's God's heart for you. Secondly, truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's true. I don't know about you, but I'm getting pretty sick and tired and fed up to the back teeth of all of these different ways that apparently you can get to heaven now. My Jesus said there's only one way. I'm sick and fed up of churches compromising the word of truth and, and making out as if it's easy to get into heaven. It isn't. It costs you everything. Don't compromise. Why would I want to sell people a lie so when they get to the end of their lives, they discover actually it wasn't true? That's called cheap grace. It's a lie of the enemy. My God doesn't compromise. That's the truth. My God doesn't change. That's the truth. My God is from everlasting to everlasting. That is the truth. My God is victorious over sin and death and sickness and the power of hell. That is the truth. My God's called Jesus and he is coming back again. That's the truth. That reveals the Father's love, by the way. You know, if I say to you, hey, do you know what? It's okay. I know sin's really hard to deal with. I know it's tough, but it's okay. God won't mind. I'm not doing you any favors. You show me where Jesus did that for anybody. Truth sets people free. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. He is truth personified. And that is the love of the Father. That is the Father's heart. The Father's heart is for truth to be revealed. And it is revealed in Jesus. He is the truth. Sacrifice. I'm going to come back to this one in a minute. And unpack it a bit more. But just to say this at the moment, sacrifice. Love costs. True love truly costs. 100% love costs 100%. I'll come back to that. Embodying the kingdom. How does Jesus reveal the Father's love? By embodying the kingdom. That means health, healing, wholeness. We'll unpack that more when we get to the R part, the restoration of the heart and soul. But you know something? Heaven's a beautiful place. Who knows that old song? Heaven is a beautiful place filled 
With glory and grace, I'm going to see my Savior's face because heaven is a wonderful place. I want to go there. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. My daughter is cringing so much. Does anyone remember that? <laughs> heaven is a beautiful place. I didn't actually remember that song until I just said that line. There is prayer ministry available after the meeting. Edit that bit out, by the way, when we put it online. <laughs> Heaven's a beautiful place. Why is it a beautiful place? There's no sickness in heaven. There is no sin in heaven. There is no fear in heaven. There is no death in heaven. And whenever Jesus walked around, he brought heaven to earth. Did you notice when Jesus walked the earth, demons fled? When Jesus walked the earth, sickness evaporated. When Jesus walked the earth, he just personified healing and wholeness and restoration, and we will unpack that more in a few weeks' time. And then the final line before we come back to sacrifice. Miracles, signs, and wonders. We'll unpack that more under the E section, empowering, equipping, and engaging. But you know, what we call supernatural now in heaven is called normal. And the way Jesus lived here on earth was to demonstrate that. What we call supernatural in heaven is perfectly normal. We've just got a wrong economy. I've probably told you the story before about the very wealthy man who knew that he was coming towards the end of his life. And so he packed suitcases full with gold bars so that he could take them into heaven with him. He worked hard all his life. He'd earned it. So he gets to the gates, the checking counter. This is how it works. And St. Peter's standing there at the gate, checks his names down. He says, uh, before you come in, I just need to check your luggage to see what you're bringing into heaven. So certainly, certainly, certainly. So he puts these suitcases on the counter and he opens them up, filled with gold bar, bars. And, and St. Peter sort of scratches his head and says, why are you bringing paving slabs with you? <laughs> you see, we look at things now, we call on healings, miracles, signs and wonders, and we get all excited about them. They're just heaven. It's just how we should be living. It's just Jesus saying, come up here. Don't settle for anything less. The invitation is there. God is literally dying for you to know heaven and know it now. And the invitation is not just muddle through the best you can and then eventually when you die, you'll get welcomed in and you can sit back and relax and say hallelujah. The invitation is now. Come up here. Live as a citizen of heaven and what you receive, bring back down here. And make it available to those around you. That's how Jesus reveals the love of the Father. But I want to tell you, very briefly, it cost him a lot. It cost him a lot. If you want to demonstrate your love to someone, it costs you. It costs you. Years ago, when Rachel and I were engaged, Rachel drove a Vauxhall Astra. 
You know I like cars. And it was a good car. It's a really good car. I drove, on the other hand, an Austin Healey, which is a two-seater open-top sports car, for any of you who don't know what an Austin Healey was back in the day. And you're not impressed anything like enough by that. <laughs> it was a beautiful two-seater open-top sports car. And I tell you, I was seriously cool when I drove that car. I mean, it had been stuck in second gear for 18 months. Now, the thing about the Austin Healey is you could get it up to about 45 miles an hour quite happily in second gear. That was fine. And I could drive it home from work, and because of the size of my parents' drive and the fact that it was on an angle, if I drove in, swung round up the hill slightly, and then just put the clutch down, I could roll backwards towards the house and then pull out again the next day. Absolutely fine. That's how I managed to drive it for 18 months. I didn't bother with the doors. Why would you? It was open top. So, <laughs> first time I ever met Rachel, this is a slight aside, but you'll like the story. First time I ever met Rachel, she was managing a Christian conference center. I was a youth worker. I was doing a massive youth event in the conference center that night. I roared in on a Sunday afternoon, I roared in to the car park. I did a handbrake turn into what was actually a disabled parking space, but I wasn't going to leave the car there right outside the front door of the conference center. I jumped over the driver's door, flicked up the collar on my denim jacket, and strode in to the conference center. Rachel was inside with a colleague and said something to the effect of, oh my goodness, look at him. Doesn't he look an idiot? I think that was the word she used, actually. When we got engaged, <laughs> a couple of years later, Rachel pointed out to me that we were about to go off to Bible College. I got my place at Bible College. We would need a car while we were away, but we couldn't afford to run two cars. So she said to me, I mean, she's so full of grace, she said, you can decide which car we keep. Would you like to keep the Vauxhall Astra, which works and doesn't leak, and has four doors? Or would you prefer to keep that? <laughs> Love costs. It costs. And that was a sacrifice. Because those of you who know me at all know that I love cars. That was a sacrifice. But I tell you, it was one of the easiest decisions I've ever had to make. I couldn't give two hoots about that car in that moment. Because I'd got Rachel. And sometimes we make out as if something has cost us something which actually hasn't cost us anything at all. Anyone ever received a rubbish gift? Yeah. <laughs> It was Lydia's 18th this week. And we <laughs> no, we won't go there because that's being recorded. <laughs> Years ago, one of our children was given, I don't know if it was birthday or Christmas, but they were given a half full bottle of hand soap as a child. One of our children was given a gift of some used underwear 
they came to Rachel and said, oh, I found these outside and thought you might want them for your child. Anyone ever been given rubbish gifts? <laughs> Anyone ever been given amazing gifts? When someone who you know well thinks about what you might like and they give you something. And it might not have any monetary value whatsoever, but it's an amazing gift. When, when Rachel buys gifts for family, it takes ages. She spends so much time thinking through what would be right for them. I hate going shopping with her. It's so frustrating. But it's a demonstration of love. Because time has been put into it. Thought. Gifts that cost the person something demonstrate their love. And rarely is that linked to the monetary value. First time I ever went to India, I went to visit what's called Al Bella Boy's Home. And uh, Ros and Paul were there with me, and Amy, and uh, a few others. I can't remember who was on that trip. Alison, Tom Hume, Jacob was on that trip. There was a young lad there called Krishnan. He lived all of his life in the orphanage. And uh, by the end of the week, he wanted to give me a gift. And, and others on the team received gifts from others as well. They had similar experiences, but I'm just telling you about mine. Krishnan came and he bought me a, um, a, a ladybird book and a plastic key ring, which had zero monetary value. It, it took me somewhere in the region of two minutes to read the book. The key ring, even new, probably would have cost 10 or 20 pence. But other than the clothes he owned, and he had the clothes he was wearing and a change of clothes, other than those things, it was everything he owned. And I was told by the guy who led the orphanage, don't you dare refuse that gift. It's one of the most precious gifts I've ever been given. Philip said to Jesus, John 14, verse 8, Show us the Father. Jesus responds, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Jesus and the Father are one. But I want us to think for a few more moments before I finish about just how much it cost Jesus to show the Father's love to you and me. On the Mount of Olives, near the bottom, in the olive grove, is a garden. Many of you have been there. All of you have heard of it. It's called Gethsemane. Gethsemane is the garden that Jesus visited on the night before he was killed. It's where the crushing of God started. It ended a few hours later at the cross. But Jesus, through whom the entire universe was created, was about to be crushed by men. That's how the Father's love is revealed in Jesus. Psalm 104, verses 14 and 15 says this, He makes the grass grow for the cattle and the plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine 
that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. That's my God. Bread, wine, and oil. All provided by Jesus for us, both in the natural and in the supernatural. Jesus said, I am the bread of life, John 6. Eat this bread, it's my body that's given for you. It's wine, Jesus said, take this cup, drink from it, it is my blood. The Holy Spirit is frequently referred to as oil, the oil of joy. And we receive unspeakable joy when we are filled with Holy Spirit. To make oil, you need to crush olives. So Jesus had just spoken to the disciples about bread and wine. And then he went to an olive grove. And in the Garden of Gethsemane was an olive crushing press. And there Jesus knelt and prayed for you and for me. And to crush olives, to get oil from them, the process begins in a similar way to crushing grapes to get wine. They're, they're trodden underfoot. And Jesus was metaphorically trodden underfoot by man. And then what happens once the olives are a bit of a pulp, they're put in the olive press and a large stone is put on top of them and they are crushed and ground until the oil is literally squeezed out of them and collected to be used. Jesus had talked about blood, the wine. He talked about his body, the bread. And then he went to the garden and he knelt in an olive grove to symbolize the oil. It is because of his love that Jesus paid that price. Jesus was taken from that place as a result of someone who betrayed him with a kiss. Betrayal, by the way, usually looks like, humanly speaking, someone's being nice to you. And his friend walks up to him and publicly kisses him. But those who got the eyes to see saw what was happening. Jesus was arrested. He was taken from the place where oil is created by the crushing of olives. And he was trodden underfoot. He was publicly humiliated. He was whipped, he was tortured, he was beaten, he was spat upon, he was lied about. He was convicted on false evidence. And then he was left hanging on a tree to die. And where did they put his body? In a tomb sealed by a large round stone. The large round stone that seals a tomb is usually being taken from an olive press and placed in front of a tomb. 
Jesus was crushed. And we know that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. But that which he carried, that which was on the inside, had to come out so that we could receive it. And the only way you really find out what's on the inside of something is by crushing it. And so often what you find out what's inside of people is when you crush them. And when Jesus was crushed, the joy of the Lord was poured out on the earth. Every last detail of this unbelievable gift from God the Father to you and to me was intricately planned by God before the creation of the world. Planned with Jesus. The reality, my friends, is this. God loves you. And he reveals his love in Jesus. The Bible reveals Jesus. You want to know what the Father's love looks like? Look at Jesus. He wants to bless you. He wants to touch your heart. He wants to heal, restore, renew, and refresh. And as I finish, to quote a line from John Arnott, the miracle is not that God touches your heart. The miracle is that when he does, you get to live through it. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, we thank you for Jesus. And Lord, never let that be a phrase that just trips off of our tongue. This morning as we've thought again about the sacrifice, the cost of Jesus to show us the Father's love, as we've thought about how, Father, your love is revealed through Jesus, the word thank you doesn't seem to come close. Father, would you, over the coming days, bring to every one of us a fresh heart revelation of your love for us, of the cost to Jesus to make it available to us. And as with Isaiah, when he came face to face with the glory of God, may our hearts respond, here am I. Send me.